Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Once again, welcome to The Grove. Okay, so we are starting a brand new sermon series today. It's something I've been uh, thinking about for a while and trying to work on for a while uh, that I hope will be a really kind of great start to the new year for all of us. It's 31 days of prayer. So it's pretty self-explanatory, but really I think maybe of all of the concepts that people wrestle with at the church, prayer is one of the more difficult. There's a lot of uncertainty, confusion, frustration, discouragement, cynicism surrounding this idea of prayer, depending on your level of experience, depending on how it was taught to you as a child or as an adult. And so what I thought we could do for the next several weeks, especially through the month of January, is to really kind of focus on prayer itself, to really kind of unpack why it exists, what it's for, how we can do it, the different types of prayers, and then what it looks like to actually develop a habit and a rhythm of prayer in our own life. Now, as I was kind of reflecting on my kind of history and experience with prayer, uh, there's a couple of models of prayer that I've kind of moved through throughout my life, and they're kind of specific examples to me, but maybe you can kind of make the necessary substitutions and have them fit for you. So the the first kind of model of prayer that... Uh, I've had in my life is like this dentistry model of prayer. And what I mean by that is this idea that you know you're supposed to floss and every time you, you go to the dentist, you promise to floss once you leave and then at some point you lose the habit of flossing. Maybe for some of you, you've got great hygiene and you're like, this doesn't connect to me at all. Again, make the necessary substitutions. But because then you have fallen out of the habit of flossing, you start to dread the visit to the dentist that's to come. You're like, I don't really want to go because I don't want another lecture about how I need to floss because I know I need to floss. I just, for some reason, don't have the kind of self-discipline to floss. I think for many of us, at least for me, there's been seasons of my life where prayer's that way. It's like, I know I need to pray. I know it's good for me to pray. I'm supposed to pray. I try to pray. It lasts for a couple of days. And then I fall out of the habit until like my next kind of like check-in with God. And it's like, all right, God, I'm sorry. I know my gums are bleeding. I know it's bad. I know I should have done this. I should have been doing this. Yes, you're right. And I promise that I will start to do this more often. And then I kind of go around and around and around kind of this wheel for seasons and years of my life. So that's, that's kind of one model of prayer. Uh, the other model of prayer that I've experienced in my life and maybe you've experienced in yours is I call the yoga model of prayer. Um, and it's based on my own experience with yoga. But uh, when I go to yoga, I always feel like I never know what I'm doing and everybody else seems to know what they're doing. I feel like really confused and I'm out of place and I'm a little embarrassed. And it's like, okay, I'm kind of athletic. Why can't I do this? And I don't really know what the calls are, so I'm like looking through arms and legs at everybody else, trying to figure out what they're doing, and then trying to adjust what I'm doing based on what everybody else is doing. And so if you're here this morning and you're now picturing me doing yoga as you're thinking about prayer, I'm sorry for that. But that's kind of how I experience prayer a lot of times. It's like, surely I should be better at this. It feels frustrating and confusing, and it's like, okay, I see how everybody else is doing it, but when I try to do it, I can't get in the same positions in the same way, and why does it seem like it's so easy for everybody else compared to how it is for me? Has anybody ever kind of had that experience with prayer where it's like, okay, I think I'm the only one who doesn't know how to do this or doesn't feel comfortable right now? And then the last one is kind of this kitchen sink model of prayer. 
And what I mean by that is uh, I don't really like medicine. I don't like to take medicine. If I don't feel good, I just kind of like to tough it out or, you know, eat some vegetables or something like, you know, kind of more of a homeopathic approach until I start to feel really sick. And then I will take every medicine all at once to try to stop being sick. It's like I avoid all medicine altogether for as long as humanly possible. I don't want to go to the doctor kind of per my you know, relationship with the dentist until I don't feel good. And then it's like, I don't care if they react with each other, just lay out all of the ones and I just scoop them up and I'll take them all at the exact same moment and I'll drink all of the potions and do all of the things to get better as quickly as possible. For some of us, it's kind of our prayer life. Like, I don't really have an interest in that. I don't need to pray. I'm good. I've kind of got life under control. Things are working for me. I've kind of figured this out until life stops working for you. And then it's like this Hail Mary prayer. It's like, oh God, I'm so, so, you know, and then you kind of try to catch up on all of the prayer that you haven't prayed all at once. These are some of the models of prayer that I've experienced. Maybe you have your own or maybe you have identified yourself in some of these what I think uh, we probably all share, though, is just a general level of uh, feeling that we wish we were better at prayer than we were. We wish our prayer life had a little bit more consistency, maybe a little bit more vibrancy, maybe a little bit more traction than maybe we feel. And so I thought it might be worth 2022 starting the year off with a different rhythm of prayer than maybe we normally have. And for some of us, this is going to kind of be a continuation of maybe some work and some spiritual growth that's happening in your own life already. For some of you, this is going to be like your first day in a yoga class or some related exercise class. Everything's going to hurt. It's going to feel weird. You're going to want to quit after a couple of days. But the reason we're doing it is because of kind of all of the spiritual practices that you can identify either in the life of Jesus or in scripture. Prayer is the most central to relationship with God. Prayer is the most central to kind of spiritual growth and spiritual development. And so if we have any interest in trying to grow and kind of form ourselves spiritually, to become more into the people that God's created us to be, to, to live our lives more in the example of Jesus, if that's actually something that we're serious about, then, then it, prayer has to be something that we take serious as well. I think it's easy sometimes at church because of our general level of discomfort with prayer to offer up all of the other things uh, in terms of spiritual practices that people can do instead of encouraging people to pray. I think there's at times it feels a little trite and a little cliche to be like, well, just pray about it. You know, just pray about it. I'll be praying for you. You know, we say that is like an attempt to express like kindness and compassion for what's happening, empathy for what's happening in people's lives. But you know, oftentimes on our own, it's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, does this really work? Does it really do anything? Does it really change anything? And I think the only way that we're going to experience the power of prayer in our own life is to actually pray. You know, if we come for the next several weeks and talk about the efficacy of prayer and ways to pray and the impact that prayer can make in our lives, and we hear a lot and we learn a lot about prayer, but we don't actually practice praying, I don't know that it's going to do us much good. And so for the next 31 days, I want us to really start to practice praying. And I use that word practice really intentionally. Uh, similar to yoga, there's this concept of a practice, which means that every day you show up as you are, where you are in that moment. 
Some days you'll feel stronger than others. Some days prayer will come more easily than the day before or the day that is to come. Uh, Some days it'll be really hard and you feel like you can't concentrate and you're flooded by all of the checklists and to-do lists and shopping lists and all of the things that are happening. Or you'll be distracted by some relationship that isn't going the way that you want in the moment. But what it looks like to engage in a practice is to start again, to show up again each day, wherever you find yourself that day. And so I think that as we begin to practice prayer and as we begin to learn and to discuss and to talk about prayer, my hope will be that prayer begins to form us because ultimately that's what happens when you pray is it begins to change you and it begins to change the way that you see the world and the way that you interact with others and the world around you. And we get so much of what we know about prayer from the life of Jesus. If we look at the Gospel of Luke in particular, all of the Gospels have lots of details about Jesus' life, the things that he taught, the things that he did, where he went, who he was with. But some of the details that stand out most, some of the details that we have kind of the most information about Jesus' life, is about Jesus' habit and about Jesus' rhythm and commitment to prayer. So let me just kind of walk you through just the beginning of several chapters in Luke. So starting in Luke 4, this is right after Jesus is baptized. And it says that Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 days of prayer and fasting. And it says in that point, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he returns to begin his public ministry. And so we think about like 40 days in the wilderness is this period of time where Jesus was weak and depleted and lacking energy. But really, Scripture tells us the opposite. It's after 40 days of prayer and fasting that Jesus comes back with kind of the height of his spiritual powers. And he begins his ministry from that point. And then in Luke chapter 5, what we see in verse 15, it says, But now more than ever the word about Jesus began to spread, and many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. And what we see is as Jesus' life got busier, as Jesus' life and kind of the work that he was doing became more demanding, Jesus found more and more time to withdraw and to pray. Just turn the page into the next chapter in, verse, in chapter 6. Now during those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. Turn the page again, Luke chapter 9. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Over and over and over again, and I can keep going, but you get the point. Over and over again, Jesus' life is marked by a rhythm, by a habit of prayer. It serves as the foundation and the basis of all of his ministry in the world. It wasn't as though Jesus was praying as kind of this addendum to his work in the world. It was precisely when he needed to do his greatest work, when he needed to be there for people, when he needed to heal, when he needed to sick, before he went to the cross. It was always the thing that he did before any type of kind of spiritual expenditure. Jesus's life is marked by this rhythm and commitment. And so it stands to reason if Jesus is our model and Jesus is our example And he lives this life and then invites us to do as I do, to follow me, to live the way that I lived. It's really hard for us to take seriously the practice of following Jesus if we don't also take seriously the practice of praying like Jesus. 
Now, here's what we see happen in chapter 9. It's a continuation of what we just read. It says, Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of Jesus' face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Now, I think one of the things, in addition to just the difficulty that we have of paying attention, of creating space for silence, to listen to God, to talk to God, to be present with God, besides all of the distractions and the busyness that make life difficult for us when we try to pray, I think one of the challenges is that we want an experience like this. We want clouds and lightning and a beam from heaven, our face to turn white. We want to know that prayer is working for us. We want some like tangible, physical proof. We're kind of you know, byproducts of this culture that we live in that's based on effectiveness and productivity. And so we need to see an ROI on our time when it comes to prayer. But like we've said before, oftentimes prayer is hard. It's confusing. It's, it seems ineffective at times. And oftentimes that leaves us with kind of skepticism or cynicism about the efficacy of prayer. Like, does it actually work? And it seems like there could be like this kind of fatalism that we adopt when we believe that prayer doesn't actually do anything and whatever's going to happen is going to happen anyway. And so what's the point of even praying? And so there's a lot for us to kind of overcome there's a lot for us to unpack when it comes to learning how to develop a habit and a rhythm of prayer. Now, I can't fix any of those things for you. I can't fix any of those things. But what we can do is, despite those things, we can begin. We can start. We can try. We can begin to explore what it looks like to practice this rhythm of prayer. In Luke chapter 11, just a couple of chapters later, This is this encounter that we see with Jesus and his disciples. Once again, it's about Jesus and his rhythm and commitment to pray. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the whole point of this series. Is Lord, teach us to pray. Because the realization, the acknowledgement in this request And it's really kind of the only request that we see the disciples make of Jesus about teach us how to do something in all of the Gospels. And it's around this idea of prayer. is an acknowledgement that it's hard, that we don't know on our own what it looks like to pray, how to pray, what this really means. And so in response, Jesus says some words that are familiar. Now, this is not the version that many of us know, but that version comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, but this is what Jesus says in response. And so in response to their request to teach us how to pray, Jesus says this, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. Now this is Luke's version of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And I think in it, 
in Jesus' response to the request to teach us how to pray is guidance for us about prayer, about the nature of prayer, about things that we, that we need to know about praying to begin. Now, I found a different translation of kind of Luke's take on the Lord's Prayer that I want to leave on the screen and I want to kind of break it apart and I want to talk about what I think it reveals to us about prayer. So this is a different translation of the same thing that Jesus shares to his disciples. It's different words of the Lord's Prayer. Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Give us what we need for today. Forgive the hurt we have caused and the hurt we have endured and protect us from temptation. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I'm just gonna leave this on the screen because I think there's a couple of different things in the lines of this, in these words that Jesus gives us to use on our own that I think help us understand a little bit more about what it means to learn how to pray. And so the first one is that prayer connects us to God. This is the first thing. JC, just leave up that passage of scripture. Yep. So the first one is prayer connects us to God. That's that first line, Father, reveal who you are. Reveal who you are. This is about a relationship. This is about showing up and being in proximity to, having the opportunity to experience God. You know, some of the different models of prayer that I talked about that I kind of experienced in my own life, whether it's the dentistry model, the yoga model, or kind of the kitchen sink model, Jesus offers us a different model for what prayer should look like. And it's that of a dinner party. When you think about the preparation that you go through to get ready to have a dinner party, very little of it is based on, oh gosh, what are we going to talk about? Especially if these are good friends. You're, you're busy, concerned with the food, making sure that you have everything that you need to host well. And then your friends come over and then it just happens. I contrast this with kind of my experience of going to therapy. Uh, my experience of going to therapy, there's a lot of work that I do in advance of therapy about thinking about what am I going to talk about this week. I don't know if you have this experience, but I'm always like, I got to have something. I mean, like, you know, I'm paying her to help me, but if I don't have anything, this feels like a waste of time. And so I spend like 30 minutes before therapy thinking about what I'm going to talk about in therapy because I'm afraid of what happens if I show up to therapy and, not, and I don't have anything to talk about. This is oftentimes a model that we bring into prayer. It's like, I don't know what to talk about. I got to come up with something to talk about. Otherwise, like God's going to be like, why doesn't he have anything to talk about? that's not what we do at dinner parties. We just show up. And sometimes we talk. Sometimes we share. Sometimes we listen. Our minds wander while they're talking sometimes or even while we're talking. There's so much less pressure that we apply to the interaction and to the experience when it's a dinner party. Jesus talks about this in Revelation. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And anybody who hears and invites me in, I'll come and I'll dine with them. That's the metaphor. That's the language that Jesus uses about his desire to be in relationship with us. It connects us to God in the same way that a dinner party does to people that we care about. And I wonder for us what it would look like, what it would feel like practically, is if we shifted our understanding, our framing of prayer, as I'm just showing up to a dinner party, so to speak, with God. And it might be the case that some days you show up and you've got lots to talk about because there's a lot going on that you hope God, that he, God hears you about. And other days it's like, I don't know, God, your turn. I don't know. I don't have anything. And I'm just going to sit and 
while I'm waiting and listening, my mind might wander to my grocery list, and then I'll come back in and I'll refocus. I think we have a lot of um, hesitation about doing prayer well that we make it so much more difficult than it should be. I think Jesus is wanting us to understand that it is a deeply relational act. It's not about performance. It's not about execution. That's why Jesus uses that language, Father. It's actually far more intimate than the word Father. It's the word Daddy. Without kind of going into a whole sermon on all of the complications that that can cause for us, what I hope we hear is the deeply intimate and the deeply personal nature of what prayer is. It's this really intimate act of just being present with and experiencing God. There's a kind of a, a quote out of a book on prayer that I really like, and it says, prayer is the intersection of where your life and God meet. I think that's so true, especially as I think about the nature of a dinner party. You just show up and you get together and then kind of your life intersects with their life and it all just kind of gets tangled up as you sh are sharing about what's going on, what's new, what's happening. Kind of over this Christmas break, I've had the opportunity to go to dinner with quite a few different friends. And what's been so fun is without, you know, trying to pay attention to a clock or a schedule, these dinners start to last two, three, four hours just because we're just enjoying being present with each other. I mean, when is the last time that you prayed for two, three, or four hours? I don't know that I've ever done that. But it's easy in the context of our friendship. And so what happens if we begin to shift our understanding of prayer to I'm just showing up to a dinner with a friend? I think the second thing that prayer can do, and we see this in Jesus' words, is prayer begins to develop and to build our trust in God. You see those lines, after Father reveal who you are, Father help us know you better. It's set the world right. God, make this place like heaven on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that idea. It's about God. We are trusting in you to set this world right, to do something in this world that we can't do on our own. God, we know and we trust and depend that you are still active and operating in the world to heal the hurts and to mend the broken places of this world. And in addition to that, God, we need you to set our world right. So give us what we need for today. Give us our daily bread. God, it is so easy in this world for us to be so focused on our own independence, our own self-sufficiency, that with enough expertise, enough success, enough resources, we don't find many opportunities in our life where we actually need or depend on God. What if we change that? What if in all of the places where we worry, where you feel anxiety, where you have that inner conversation or trying to do the mental math to solve all of the problems that we're trying to navigate, what if we use those as cues to say, all right, God, give me what I need today. Make the world right. God, I, I turn this over to you. You solve it, God. I think sometimes I feel like when I show up to pray that I don't always have much to pray for beyond the list of names and needs that kind of come my way as a pastor. And then after my prayer is over, I go about my day, and my mind is spinning with all of the things that I have to solve, all of the ways that I'm frustrated or anxious or worried about something. And never once does it cross my mind 
to pray about those things? Well, what if that was our cue about ways that we could begin to build our trust in God? It's like, God, my head is spinning. You know all the stuff that's in it. Here's some of the stuff that I'm trying to solve or figure out. God, I give it to you. As we begin to do that, I think what we see happen is that we realize that we're actually far less effective in our own lives, and God is far more effective. When we create space for God to move and to work, I believe that God will. I believe that it gives us space to recognize God's presence and activity in our life. The last thing, or the third to last, second to last thing, number three, letter C, whatever it is. As we read through Jesus's words and instruction on how to pray, what it does is it begins to integrate our life. Set the world right, give us what we need for today. And then forgive the hurt that we have caused and the hurt that we've endured. God, there are actions that we do that aren't in line with who we wanna be as people. There are words that we share, there are choices that we make, decisions that we engage in that aren't consistent with the example of your son. God, we ask for forgiveness for those things and help us to accept the places where people don't act consistently with their ideals and their values and the ways that they're trying to live into the fullness of who you've created them to be. It's acknowledging that we make mistakes and others make mistakes too. And so in doing that, in naming those places where we still struggle to get it right and where we are asking for forgiveness and then also focusing on the places where we need to offer forgiveness for the places where people don't get it right towards us, it begins to reintegrate and integrate our lives. And that word integrate is kind of where we get this idea of integrity from. When we say that somebody doesn't act with integrity, what we're saying is that there is a gap between their actions, their behaviors, and perhaps who they claim to be, who they say that their values are, uh, the type of person that they say that they are. So there's kind of a gap between or a disintegration of their parts, of the parts of this person's life or of our life. As we begin to name those gaps, as we begin to name those places where we are disintegrated, what we see is this reintegration. God is mending, knitting, pulling all of these parts of ourselves back together and in alignment with his character. And then the last piece, and protect us from temptation. If prayer inspires hope. It's the idea that we don't have to be stuck in the same patterns that we're stuck in that life doesn't have to look the way that it always looks, that the way that it is gone doesn't have to be the way that it goes, that God is with us, that God is working in us and through us, and that tomorrow can be better than today. And so over the next several weeks and over the next 29 days or however many days we have left of this month, what I hope that we'll do is that Instead of worrying about if we have the right words or if we have you know, the proper behavior or posture or etiquette, instead of kind of fretting about all of the other periphery stuff, that we would just show up to the table. We would just show up to God and say, God, here I am. I'm trying to figure this out. And I maybe feel a little foolish because I don't know what to say or I feel guilty because it has been six months since my last appointment and I haven't flossed once, whatever it may be, 
that we'll begin to practice just showing up. And there will be more to do after. In future weeks, we'll talk about other things that we can add to this and to learn from this. But what I hope that we do today is we just show up to the table. And so to help us with that, we're going to celebrate communion together. Because what we celebrate in communion is nothing that we do. It's no act of goodness or benevolence or power or strength or sufficiency on our own part. When we show up to the table, we just receive. We receive all that God has already done and all that God desires to continue to do with us. And it's no different than prayer. And so I think as a fitting kind of end to this first week on prayer is the opportunity to celebrate communion together. Now, as we celebrate communion and as the service concludes, as you leave, we're going to give you a resource, a tool that I think hopefully will be helpful to you. And this is something that my team and I developed, but it's a deck of prayer cards. Now, one of the things that I like to do sometimes at some of my dinner parties is we have these conversation cards that kind of help create a prompt of discussion. They're kind of like these questions for, you know, kind of reflection about, you know, what has been the greatest blessing of this past year for you? Or what are you most excited about moving into the new year? Things like that. They're really helpful to develop conversation that allows people to grow in relationship and intimacy with one another over a meal. Well, if prayer is just a meal, then I thought it might be helpful to have these cards to serve as a tool to help facilitate conversation. And so there are lots of different types of prayers, but what these cards help you do is pray a prayer that's called a breath prayer. So for example, day seven, you would inhale and say the word, my help, or think it, my help. And then on the exhale, you would say, comes from the Lord. So my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. And if you don't do it too fast, you won't pass out. But, but if you want to have a spiritual experience, maybe you could do it real fast. And, I don't know. But what we want to do is we want to give you these cards. And we hope that you'll use these cards as a tool. Not the tool, but a tool to help you as you begin to practice praying together. So we'll have these available for you on your way out. These are really great things to give as a gift, to hand to people who you might think might use this. This might be helpful to them. We've got enough. And so after we celebrate communion together, we'll make sure that these cards are available for you to grab on your way out. Let me say a prayer for us, and then we will move into communion. Gracious God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity just to show up as we are with all of the good, bad, and ugly that is contained within us and to know that you meet us full of grace, full of mercy, and full of love. Father, we ask that today that you reveal who you are to us. We ask that you would set the world right, that you would give us what we need for today. Lord, we ask that you forgive the hurt that we have caused and that help us forgive the hurt that we have endured. Lord, lastly, let us place our hope in you and we ask that you protect us from temptation. We pray all of these things in the name of your son. Amen.